Hey, what up? It's Mark Carter. I'm the pastor of Fierce Church. Welcome to our podcast. I'm so pumped that you're able to join us today. I hope this encourages you, inspires you, strengthens you, gives you hope to keep pressing on. And it's my prayer that this sermon gives you a more expansive view of God's love for you. Enjoy the message. Amen. Hey, welcome to church, everybody. As you're finding your seat, why don't you fist bump two people and say, I'll see him do it again. I'll see him do it again. We're going to see it. Jesus can touch your world today. He's real, man. He's not just an old dude in a book somewhere. Like the real living God is here and he's able to move on our behalf. So before we jump into today's message, we've had this thing that we've been announcing called Emotionally Healthy Relationships, and it's been coming up. It starts at the end of the month, and I just wanted to let you know a little bit what that's about because I think especially sometimes for guys, you hear that, and dude, I'm sorry for how this sounds. It just sounds girly. It just sounds like, I don't know if that's a thing for guys, and I just want to invite you to be a part of it because it definitely is for guys. Even though it might sound a little bit girly, I've been through a lot of this course, the staff went through it with me. And this is really for anybody that has come from a place where maybe you experienced a little bit of relational dysfunction. See, the gospel of Jesus Christ wants to impact not only like what we believe, but actually how we interact within relationships. And many of us, you might have come from a place where your parents, like you know, I think they did, you know, 20% right or whatever, but you just watched them model some things or maybe some of them weren't even there. And you, you, picked up some relational habits that now when you relate to people, you're pretty sure that could be going a little bit better. You're pretty sure that sometimes, even though you think your anger's only like in here, it's getting out on people sometimes. So this really is a course, it's eight weeks long, and it's just about learning how to kind of like live saved within relationships. So I promise it's gonna be really fun. Um, It's a chance to be in community, but also it'll probably give you some skills that you'll never forget. So I want to encourage you to take part of that. We're about to dive. Starts on the 28th. Yeah, and you can sign up in the app. You could go to the website, but the website's down. I guess our server's down, so sorry. Uh, But maybe the app will work. So try that. Keep trying because you'll get there. Um, A big idea for it is you know ornery people, right? Yeah, sometimes you're them. So you're going to want to go ahead and try to get a part of of this course. Um, We're going to dive into this, back into the Clear Eyes, Full Heart series. We're talking about the book of John. And as we dive in today, we're going to see some things that might just take you by surprise because you're going to see Jesus act in a way that many of us feel like is out of character for Jesus. So you got to know as we go into this thing, you got to be fully convinced that Jesus' affection for you is unstoppable, that his love for you is never-ending, it is everlasting. But how many know, when you really get to know somebody, they don't hide anything from you anymore. They show you all of the facets of their personality. So I just want everyone to understand, Jesus is not the genie from Aladdin, okay? He's very specific. He's not just a little blessing box. Like, Jesus, as he lived on earth, shows us what the heart of the Father is like, as we've been learning in this series. So let's start off. One of the shows, I don't know if you watch shows, if your family watch shows, if you and your roommate watch shows, but one of the shows that my family and I watch from time to time is Hoarders. You heard about Hoarders? I'm sure you've heard about it if you haven't seen it. And I just got to tell you, we don't watch it because it's good. 
We watch it because it's one of those things, it's kind of like so horrific, it's hard to look away, okay? So when we watch this, and yeah, we're, we're, you know, we're, we're feeling compassion, and, and part of us is grossed out, you know what I'm saying? It's kind of all these emotions. But we're watching people that, man, they just, something went wrong in their life, and they just keep collecting and keep collecting and keep collecting. And what's weird about it is, oftentimes, they live in these really otherwise nice places. Well, now, I mean, there's, you know, there's rats all over the place, and there's little rat poo, and you know, all kinds of bugs, and all kinds of infestations. But other than that, I mean, if you got rid of all the stuff, it'd be a pretty nice house. There, there'd be plenty of space, and often, like, there's not even a mortgage. Like, this house is already paid off, and they, they would own it. They have, they have all kinds of opportunity and access, but instead, they fill their house with so much junk and clutter that um, you know, sometimes they've got to crawl like eight inches under the ceiling. They're on so much junk to get to another part of the house. And man, it's real and it's horrific and it's trippy. But sometimes, believe it or not, we are like those hoarders. See, the Bible calls those who have decided to be disciples of Jesus, they are a version of the temple of God. And the temple of God, man, temple is really important. Temple is a very specific idea in the Bible. And the idea that believers are the temple of God, man, it's just mind-blowing. The problem with us sometimes is it's full of clutter. The places in our hearts are full of a lot of stuff, and we don't quite have the room. We don't quite have the freedom. We don't quite experience all the blessing that we're supposed to be experiencing. So in Bible times, everybody knew what the temple was, man. The temple was this place it wasn't just like what we think of as like a temple. Okay, we think, well, it's a building, and I think, you know, spooky things happen in there. For them, the temple was the place where heaven met earth. It was the place that was kind of a, a go-between, between the earthly and the heavenly. It was what was eternal, and then also what was up-to-date real life. This is a picture of the temple in the time of Jesus. It was beautiful. It was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And this was a place where people were supposed to go to meet God. It was awesome. It was incredible. And it was part of God's plan. And if those would, who would make their journey to the temple, they would experience the reality that God is here present. Before Jesus' resurrection, he was present there in the temple and they would experience his blessing. That was part of the reason for the temple. The temple was a place where God said, I can finally, in, not into the full way, but in the Old Testament way, inhabit the presence of my people. They'll experience my presence. They'll experience my, my goodness. And then in the New Testament, in Jesus' teaching, we learn there's a little bit more to the blessing that comes with being near to God. I'm just going to read you these real quick. They're not on the screen, but this is Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. He's talking about the Beatitudes. You heard of the Beatitudes, right? And he's saying, here's the things that are blessed. He says, all kinds of things are blessed, like being poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are the merciful. And here's the blessings that he says, follow these. Now, in the Old Testament, blessing was primarily, usually talking about material blessing or some kind of prosperity or God being near, for sure. But in the New Testament, it goes even further than that. It's even beyond that. It's saying, even when things are jacked up, even when things are hard, even when things are so, you, you, you kind of think, I'm not blessed, God says, you're blessed. When you're drawing near to God, this is what the blessing looks like. Theirs is the kingdom of God. They will be comforted. They will inherit the earth. They will be filled. They will be shown mercy. And they will see God. That is God's desire for every New Testament follower of Christ. 
He wants us to be experiencing that in greater and greater degree as we walk. The problem is our hearts are hoarded up. There's all kinds of clutter in there. And it, it shuts down. It makes it hard to get around. We're not, we're not in the expansive reality of experiencing the closeness and the presence of God. Have you ever wondered, like, man, why aren't I experiencing more of God's personhood, his, his reality? Have you ever heard people talk about that and you're like, man, how, how do I get more of that? Jesus is going to show us a little bit of how to make room for those blessings here today. So do you remember where we were? We were just in Cana. Pastor Elena was talking about, we're in the, it's the, the miracle of Cana, the, the turning water into wine. It was a really intimate, like really family type place. Jesus does his first miracle. Now he's on the way to the cross. Well, the very next thing he does is he goes to the temple. Whereas the previous miracle was very intimate and very like surrounded by friends. Now Jesus is going to a very public space and he's doing uh, the, the first big sign that he is who he's going to claim to be, he's going to clear the temple. And it's going to be amazing, but you need to understand what's happening here. This is Passover. This is the most important holiday for the Jews. This is their feast. This commemorates the time that God got them out of Egypt and didn't allow them to experience the consequence of sin that the Egyptians were experiencing as they came into their own land. And they were supposed to always remember this time. And so People from all over the Roman Empire, they're flooding into Jerusalem and they're bringing money because they have to buy sacrifices. You're not supposed to appear before the Lord without a sacrifice in that time. And they know, I can't, I don't want to bring my, you know, whatever I'm going to sacrifice with me. That's a long journey. I'll just bring money and I'll bring it to the temple and I'll exchange it to make sure it's the local currency and then I'll buy the sacrifice that I need and then I'll be able to do my sacrifice. Jesus is walking into there. Now Josephus, who's an ancient historian, tells us there's probably about half a million people crowded in Jerusalem at this time. And that's a lot for that time. So it's, I want you to imagine, like it's really crowded, okay? And there's a buzz and everyone's excited. You know, there's, there's food for sale and there's all kinds of stuff going on and lots of commotion and just people everywhere. And remember, nobody knows who Jesus is yet. He's done one miracle. And that was obscure. So he hasn't like even claimed anything yet. He's random dude on the street to everybody here. But he's with his disciples. Now let's pick it up. John 2, verse 13. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem in the temple. He found, found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and money changers sitting there and making a whip of cords. He drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen, he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. It's like, doggone, Jesus. Wow, you seem pretty mad. I mean, he, he, he makes a whip. He's, just so we're understanding, this is gonna shock people, okay? Like, who is this? This guy's claiming some kind of like authority over what happens here. We can assume, you know, animals are tied up. He probably took their cords that were tying them up. He makes a whip and he just starts whipping people out. He's flipping over stuff. And we say, that doesn't sound like the Jesus that I know. Why is he so angry? Here's why he's angry. Did you see? He said, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. Now, lest we get this wrong, there's nothing wrong with people bringing their coins and exchanging them so that they can buy the right kind of animal. The problem is they're inside the temple courts. 
They're inside. They are distracting. They're pulling focus from God. Jesus says, this is not what this is for. This is a place to a place of prayer. This is a place of focus on God. This is a place where people can come and connect with God. It's not for you to be having your business because what's happening? There's people, they're out in the courtyards and they're selling all these things. And you know, they're counting their money. Like, yeah, man, good day. Good day for this. Can you imagine? We're going to take communion later. Could you imagine if Pastor Brandon and I are out there, you know, sometime during the service and we're charging five bucks per communion cup and we're out there and we're like, man, 500 bucks already. Isn't this great? Of course, that would be wicked because we're here to focus on Jesus. And that's why Jesus is so upset. He says, take these things out of here. This is not necessarily a bad thing, but you are in the wrong place doing this at the wrong time. And so Jesus is grieved in his spirit because of the spiritual disinterest of the very people of God on the most important holiday. They were probably like, this is going great. I mean, look at all these people. We're we're selling all these animals. God's getting sacrificed too. But their hearts were far from him. Their focus on what would benefit them was eclipsing a focus on God. And Jesus didn't like it then, and he doesn't like it now. See, worshiping God without an exclusive focus on God, changes worship into something less than worship. I don't know what it is, but it's not worship anymore. We changed it into something else because we didn't protect the exclusivity of focus on God. And Jesus says, you know, there's not a lot of times I'm gonna lose my cool a little bit, but I lose it then. I lose it when you take something that's supposed to be focusing us on the Father and you cause it to not focus on the Father. Now, of course, we don't have a temple like that and we're not going to bring any oxen or what have you, but there are places we allow our focus to get off even in here. And, and we don't even mean to. Often, it's just stuff like we're thinking maybe a little bit too much of like, I wonder what people think of how I'm dressed today. Or I wonder, you know, if, if I sounded smart when I was talking about that God thing, I wonder if people thought, man, they really know what they're talking about. Are those really bad? No, but we have to guard our heart against it. Why do, why do we care about that? Who cares? Who cares if people like your outfit? They're not here to see your outfit. They're not here to see you. They're here to see God. And God wants all, he says, hey, all eyes on me. I'm the main attraction. I'm the star of the show. And you know, we gotta be careful because there's grace, grace, and more grace. Somebody say grace, grace, and more grace. There's grace, grace, and more grace. You ain't never gonna run out of grace because of Jesus Christ. Sometimes our minds, they just wander. Like you'll be in here and you're singing and, and your mind just goes somewhere else. You know what I'm saying? And it's appropriate to be like, no, let's, let's ratchet that thing back and focus on God. But it's not like you're condemned because you're, you're, our minds wander, baby. That's how it goes, right? But there's a difference between that and let's say you're at home and you're saying, hey, today I'm gonna read my Bible and you, you bust that thing open, but then you also bust this thing open. You're like, I'm gonna tech social media for 10 minutes. And then, you know, you read another paragraph. I'm going to check this again. And, you know, what came in the email? Can I lovingly suggest to you that when we allow our focus to be pulled from exclusive focus on God, it's not like your mind just wanted. You pulled that thing out. You know this is happening. That has become something less than worship. That is not what God is asking for. 
So this brings us to the idea of a quiet time, a time with God. This is, things, this is a thing that Christians have used over the centuries. It's a set-apart time of the day where we're going to go study a bit of God's word and we're going to have some time in prayer. Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount, hey, when you pray, go into your room and close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. He assumes we're going to go somewhere where we can focus and we're going to pray regularly. And as we read God's word and we focus on prayer, your mind is going to wander. We've got to discipline ourselves to say, no, focus on the master. What that means for some of us maybe is you're not going to look at this before you look at maybe a physical Bible. You don't have, this is not a rule, but maybe this would be a strategy for you. It's, it's physical before digital every morning. You're like, before I check email, before I check what's on social media, I need to hear from God. I'm going to bust this thing. I'm going to leave this phone across the room or wherever I need to. And no one's going to manage you. No one's going to like tell you what to do. But you and God will know what's going on there. And you get to decide. He, he can give you whatever uh, guidelines he wants. But you guys, whatever you do, you need to keep the focus on, God, let me focus on you. There's, there's 23 other hours th- today for me to check social media. But I'm going to focus on you right now because... Worship that really isn't focused exclusively on God is something less than worship. Here's another way that we get this wrong, though. We say, well, you know, I'm just going to worship the way that I want to. And this one is, is tough, man, because it is totally appropriate to go take a walk outside and see the leaves beginning to change And man, you can just connect with God. And that is such an awesome way. The problem is some of us say, that's the only way I'm going to do it. I don't need to prioritize anything else. And that's a problem because while God says that's a good way to do it, he's also given you another command. And that is to worship corporately among the body of believers. It's both. And when we say, I'm just going to do my way, but not God's way, God says, yeah, I'm having a little bit of a problem with that. Let me give you an example. So let's say tonight, I'm going to have some company over. I'm not, so you don't have to come over. But let's say I was, okay, we're going to have some people over. And I send my daughter, hey, would you go to the Meyer and grab us like five pizzas? I think we're, it'd be awesome to connect over, you know, with some people, with some pizza. It'll be fantastic. And by the way, sometimes you and I, baby girl, we like to connect over ice cream. So why don't you pick up a tub of ice cream for you and I? And after the pizza, everybody goes, we'll have a little daddy-daughter date. How about that? Now she goes to the Meyer, and she brings home just the tub of ice cream. And she says, you know, Dad, here's the thing. I don't feel like I really connect with you with regard to pizza, so I just got the ice cream. Now, not only will the people that are coming be disappointed because there's nothing for them, but that wasn't what I asked. That wasn't what I said. There's a reason that I said we need to do the corporate thing and we need to do the individual thing because both of them matter. And now they're robbed from the thing that they were supposed to get. And often when we say, you know, I'm just going to, I'll do church, you know, once or twice, you know, every couple months. And when you do that, maybe you didn't know this. I'm just letting you know, that's not what you were asked to do. In the book of Hebrews, it says, do not forsake assembling yourselves together. And one of the reasons is not just for you. It's for everybody else that would be blessed by you 
and how, what impact you might have in their life. So let's just be real careful when we're a little bit flippant with holy instructions. All right, because God is asking us to do it for your and my freedom. And we should mourn that we so easily give it away. So, verse 17, his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. They're thinking back to Psalm 69.9. You're like, man, this just reminds me of Jesus making this whip. It looks a whole lot like this. But I want to give you a different prophecy from the past that was about this moment. This is from the book of Isaiah, writing hundreds of years earlier. Listen to what it says in verse 11. This is God talking to the people. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I've had enough of your burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I don't delight in the blood of bulls or lambs or goats. When will you come to appear before me? Who is required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring me no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I can't endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They've become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I'll hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I'll not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves and make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Just come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are scarlet, they'll be white as snow. Though they're red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Now, let's just be clear. God had commanded the Israelites to do all those things. But he says, when your hearts aren't in it, when your focus really isn't on me, when you've got that game going, but you've also got a side game going over here, God says, you might as well not even do it. Why are you even doing this? I know your heart is not there. It doesn't make me feel better. It makes me feel worse. So here's what you and I need to do. We might as well not even do it. And let's go to Jesus to learn how to make room for greater blessing. Verse 18, so the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? So they want to know, who are you, dude? I don't know you from Adam, Jesus. And it, yet it's so amazing that nobody stops him. That's just the sign of the power of God on him. I mean, anybody, any, dude, I mean, I know he's got a whip, but anybody who's just pretty big could come along and be like, all right, sir, you're done. You know what I'm saying? Like, it wouldn't have been that. There's a lot of people here. It wouldn't have been that hard to stop. But as often is the case, Jesus just, nobody's able to stop him. Verse 19, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. The Jews said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. He's like, y'all don't get it, but I'm the new temple. Y'all don't understand that yet. When therefore he was raised from the dead, the disciples remembered he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word Jesus has spoken. How do we make room? Amen, two waters, yes. All right, no matter where I go, that's the blessing of God right there. You see that? My cup's running over, literally with water. We need to recognize, here's the first way we make room for this blessing. We need to recognize that you and Jesus are not in agreement about everything. We need to start there. You and Jesus are not in agreement about everything. I know that sometimes we're like, I bet God is really down with pretty much everything I, everything I think. No, I don't think so. 
There are things that happen in the temple of you that God's like, I'm not really down with that happening in my temple. And we're not just talking about when you're at worship, but when you're walking along the way before the Lord. See, God, here's the thing we've got to understand about the temple. God wants abundant blessing to be flowing from his presence into the temple. But he's not just a blessing machine. He wants, the, the blessing is because he's inhabiting it. And he's pleased to inhabit it more and more and more as we find things that shouldn't be there and we get them out. Which, which means if you're going to walk with Jesus, there's always going to be lesser loves that he finds and challenges. Now, here's the thing. You have on your phones, I'm sure, you have some version of notifications, right? Like you, you walk away for a while and you know, they fill up and there's things that it's trying to tell you, Right? And then if you walked away, for, let's say you left it in a drawer for a week, like there'd be a lot of notifications probably that you missed. Well, this is your Jesus notifications tool, okay? This is where Jesus is going to send the notifications. The primary way that Jesus communicates to us, in addition through preaching on a day-to-day level, is God's word. This is where he's sending the notifications. Now, here's, here's the thing. If you go away a week from your phone, you'll just get the notifications late, But if you miss the notifications in here, you may just miss them. Because here's why. This thing actually adapts to you. Okay, I don't know if you know that or not. Whatever you're going through, as you read the scriptures daily, the Holy Spirit applies scripture often to what you're going through. If not every day, every few days, it's like, oh man, that's a man of word for me. Wow. But if you skip whatever that revelation was, you just, sorry, you just miss it. And there's going to be things that he wanted to notify you about because they actually shouldn't be in the temple. They don't belong there. So another show that we like a lot more, my family and I, is Parks and Rec. How many like Parks and Rec? Okay, if you don't know Parks and Rec, I'll explain this scene and you'll still understand it because you've been to a wedding before and you could imagine what it would be like. But if you remember the episode where Leslie gets married to Ben, Okay, and it's about to be really beautiful, but something bad happens. Do you remember what happens? Jeremy Jam shows up. Okay, and Jeremy Jam is this dopey, like, crass, arrogant enemy that's kind of a dip. Okay, so he shows up and he's drunk and he randomly just doesn't like Leslie for some reason. And he's bought these stink bombs from Amazon and so he starts getting into the midst of what's going on up front. He's like, stop the wedding, and he's calling them names, and then he starts throwing stink bombs. And it's, you know, it's one of those moments where you could imagine if you were at a wedding and someone was doing this, it's not only ridiculously uncomfortable, it's ridiculously inappropriate, it's just super disrespectful. And there's something about us that we don't want anyone to get hurt, but when the hero, Ron Swanson, gets up to do something about it, let's see, Ron, this is who we call when we are in need, Ron Swanson steps up and punches Jeremy Jam in the face and down he goes, okay? I don't want anyone to get hurt, but you can't help but feel like that's what should happen because the moment that was happening up there was so precious and was so holy. How dare someone interfere with what's happening there, especially if they're oppositional to it? That's the way Jesus looks at sin that doesn't belong in the temple. He's like Ron. He's like, why is this here? This, this attacks the very relationship that we're going for here. 
This is oppositional to the purity and the beauty and the holiness of our relationship. Why is it here? And Jesus, he's, you know, he doesn't even apologize for it and no one's going to arrest him. Jesus will oppose that thing and he'll never agree with it. He'll patiently keep focusing us back here. Notification, ding, 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 ding. Keep telling us, hey, not cool. Doesn't mean I don't love you. It just means that doesn't belong in the temple. If you want greater blessing in the temple, you gotta let that thing go. And here's where some of us, we maybe need to arrive today. We need to decide. And everyone's gotta get here and I wanna urge you not to skip this step. If there's a step you can skip, it's not this one. This is where every person who's thinking about following Christ or following Christ, can I plead with you? You've got to get to the place where you decide The Bible has exclusive authority over what I believe and what I say and what I do. Because if you don't, if you tie that to something else, you are going to be disillusioned with God and you didn't need to be. If you tie that to some person, if you're just like, well, you know, they're, they're, they're a Christian. It seems like that's real. And so maybe I'll just kind of go with what they're doing. No, don't do that. It's a very bad idea because at some point they or somebody else like them is going to fail. They're going to get something wrong because like you and I, they're just sinners too. You need to know at the end of the day, I am regularly hearing God through this book. It is unlike any other book. And what's awesome about this book? It's self-attesting. So that means it will convince you that it is God's word. It will tell you if you just give it some time to do it. Now, this is what happened to me. It's not going to happen to everybody. It doesn't always go this way. The point of me telling you this is, it must on some level go something like this for you to really progress as a Christian and not come years later trying to deconstruct your faith unnecessarily. So I was about 18. I was just starting to check out the things of God and I was reading the Bible with regularity, but I wasn't sure. I was like, I don't know, this is written by some old poets and kings and I feel like they just wanted, you know, maybe just to calm everybody down and get them to quit murdering each other or something. I didn't really get what it was. And then one morning I'm waking up and I'm in between that, that moment. You're not asleep, but you're not really awake. Your mind is really like not doing anything and really calm. And right in my heart, I just heard the spirit of God, not in my ears, but in my heart, said the whole Bible's true, just believe it. Now, you might be like, I don't care that he said that to you. I didn't hear it. Yeah, well, that's my point. You didn't hear it. But God will give you what you do need to hear. However that happens, maybe through a book, maybe through a random advertisement, somehow, if you will seek him, you will find him when you seek him with all of your heart. And you've got to get that down. And let me just tell you, there's nothing wrong with questioning your faith if you're, if you're like, man, I'm just, I don't know, maybe I've, I've just done this because I was born this, you know, in this kind of family. Even people like Martin Luther, he went through a, a version of a deconstructing of his faith. He got to the place, he'd based all this on where he'd grown up and the people he was around. And he came to the place where he was really wrestling with if this whole God thing was legit at all. And a mentor wisely said to him, look to Christ. Look to Christ yourself. Don't go off somebody else. And of course, Martin Luther was one of the great reformers during the Reformation. My point is, you gotta get it for yourself. Jesus will talk to you about your temple through the Bible if you will decide it's important enough for me to get crystal clear on this. Somebody say amen. You want me to keep preaching or just be done now? Here's one other thing to to remember. I'm going to offend you. Dog, God, dog, got it. You know how, you know how when you haven't brushed your teeth in a while, okay, 
I mean, you've slept a couple times, but you don't know yet that you have bad breath, but everybody else knows that you have bad breath. Well, if you would just take some anointed Listerine and just swish it a little bit, okay? Suddenly, everyone would be like, they cool now. All right, they're fine. When we don't use the Listerine of God's word, okay? It's not that people are judging you, but after a while, they can tell, okay? Because the way we act and the way we just do, and everybody's in process and everybody's on the way, you know what I'm saying? There's just grace for everybody. But all I'm saying is, it may be that if you neglect this book for too long, everyone's gonna be like, man, whoo, please pray for them because they need some fresh mouthwash. They clearly got some character things that God has not talked to them about in a while. They hate, they, they're not getting their notifications. And of course, that's us often. So we need to be careful. Here's the next thing we need to remember. Jesus commands us. He says, not only are we not in agreement about everything, but he commands us to remove anything that might be pulling focus from him. In the temple of you, if you are a Christian, Jesus says, remove that which is not, that is pulling focus from me. Verse 16, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. And these lesser loves that Jesus wants to remove, he only wants to remove them because they're going to hurt your relationship with him. And we say, well, who's he to tell me that? Just like they did at the temple. Who are you to say, who are you to do this, Jesus? And just like he told them, this is what he says to us. I'm the one who died for your sin and rose on your behalf. And that's why straight up, it'll never be oppressive. It'll never be something that stifles you. But Jesus says, I get to tell you what to do. Who gets to tell you what to do? Jesus does. He gets to tell you what to do. Not only did he make you, he and the Holy Spirit and the Father, but then he doubly bought you back. You were bought at a great price. Therefore, we honor God. So when things are getting in our way, and here's some, you know, some things getting in our way, like we just we get indifferent. We're hanging with the wrong people and we're neglecting what's in the temple. Maybe we're, we just have too much time on our hands. We have too much margin. And so, you know, we're just not being careful. Any of those things can be clogging up the temple. And God says, I have the right to be angry at that which opposes me and tries to take up space in my temple. I'll give you another example. Let's say, if you're not married, you'll still understand the illustration because you could imagine it. Let's say you sit down for dinner with your spouse and they say, you know, just two nights a week, I'm going to bring home my other boyfriend or my other girlfriend. They're going to eat with us. All right? Just two nights, baby. It'll be, it'll be all good. Maybe they'll just stay over one night. I don't know. You know, we'll see how it goes. Of course, you would not only be really angry, but the longer you've been with them, the more that would hurt because something would rightly rise up inside of you, a righteous jealousy, a righteous anger. And you would say, I'm the one who's been dealing with your butt. I'm the one who took you to the hospital. I'm the one who's with you with all these kids. I'm the one who sat with you through that sickness. I'm the one who's been here. They didn't do anything. And you're bringing them? Why do they get to come into my house? And that's what Jesus says to our compromised little side hustles in his temple. He says, I'm the one who saved you. I'm the one who climbed up on that cross. 
I'm the one who's been with you every day. I've been working everything together for your good. I'm the one who's been here saving you from stuff you didn't even know was gonna happen. And you're bringing them in here? I'm the one who died for you and they're no savior at all. So let's just recognize when we bring stuff into the temple, it's appropriate for Jesus to be hurt by that. Now, sometimes Jesus is so good, he just removes sin out of our lives. He just does it. Boom, he just does it. I remember when I first got saved, okay? When I first came to know the Lord, every third word was a swear word for me, okay? That's just how I, that's where I came from. That's what I did. And it was, you know, it's like a couple days after I came to know the Lord, it just evaporated. And now I'm not gonna lie, like, Every now and then, something in my head, it, it gets to my head, okay? Only every few years does, does a swear word slip out. But, but my point is, my point is, yeah, right. <laughs> my point is, it's night and day difference, dude. Like, it was bad before, and now it's, it's accidental. It's occasional. My wife, she came from, you know, she was in a moment when she came to know the Lord where, you know, she was one of these sweet gals that kind of bucks authority, not necessarily because authority is doing something wrong, but for the sake of bucking authority. And, and you know, the Lord right away, you know, sanctified that in her heart. And she, she just had this deferential spirit that was appropriate and beautiful and godly in, in the right directions. Sometimes it just, he just takes it away. Other times though, we got to bite for it. Other times, you know, maybe you've, you've just been controlled by your emotions for a lot of your life, or maybe that was modeled to you, or maybe you're still, you know, you, you don't understand yet that your emotions aren't really your compass. Like the world tells you that, but that's going to lead you into greater and greater bondage. Sometimes your emotions might be right, but they're often just dead the opposite of what you should do. And so it's going to take a fight with you and Jesus Dale. Okay, Jesus, I found this in the temple again. Let's, let's sweep it out again. You know, or maybe you, you watched your mom use anger as a tactic to control things or control people. And that's the thing that the, the spirit's like, yeah, that shouldn't be here in the temple. We got to get that thing out. And he's asking you not to be perfect. God does not think you're going to be perfect. But he's saying, when you find a table in here that doesn't belong in here, we need to kick it out. Now, here's the most advanced version. Maybe sometimes the, one of the final things that Jesus gets around to pointing out is you're doing the right thing, but your why is wrong. Why your, your motivation is not correct here. So maybe you're just saying that so someone will think you're a bigger deal or you're just trying to curry favor with that person because you really don't trust that God can give you favor with the right people at the right time. And I don't know what yours are. I just know that as I grow, increasingly the Lord is saying, I need to clean out your why. You're doing things that look okay, Carter, but why you're doing it is not right. And so Jesus cleans out my why. Have you offered him your why lately? God, here's all my whys. I don't even see them all, but will you show me those that are set up in your temple and shouldn't be there? So what do we do? Well, here's a good idea. If you see Jesus make a whip and he is, um, you know, kicking over tables, you definitely don't want to get in his way. You might want to say, can I be helpful pushing over any of these tables, Jesus? Is there any way I can contribute to getting these things out of here? That would at least be helpful and not oppositional to him. But that's the question. Today, is there anything in your life that is 
pulling focus from Jesus being exclusively priority number one, center of the bullseye. Here's what's really good news. Jesus takes it upon himself to clean us. He didn't just tell the people to get this stuff out of there. He did. He said, take away what you can, but he also made sure, no, this is all getting out of here. And Jesus is so wonderful and so beautiful and so awesome. Somebody say Jesus. Jesus takes responsibility for cleaning you and I. He ta- he's like, you're not going to be able to do it. So I'm going to do it with and for you. Jesus will be faithful. And what's so cool about him? He will take a whip and he will kick some things out of your life. But he'll never cast you out. He'll kick the stuff that doesn't belong. He'll, stick, he'll kick the enemies out, the threats, the affairs, but he won't kick you out. That's why it says John 6, 37. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Two ways he cleans us. The first is he died on the cross for us. That means past, present, future, sin. He says, I clean that. Don't try to work your way back to God. It's not going to work. I alone can clean you. Peter, if I don't clean you, you can have no part of me. Jesus is the cleaner. But then there's this happening during our life practically, and it's his faithful eradication of evil in our lives, often not just through his word, but through trial. See, everybody on the planet is going to experience trial anyway. It's going to happen anyway. It's happening. What Jesus promises you and I, because he's so faithful, is he says, I'm going to use yours to reveal stuff about you to you that you, didn't, you forgot was there. Okay, so when, you get, when it gets really, really hard and your temper flares out and goes, ah, God's going to say, that's actually always there. It's just buried deep. It's, 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 not, really, it's not just because you're, you're, you're in this situation. This situation just bubbled it to the top. God says, I'm pointing that out because I'm taking you through these trials in order for you and I get to get in agreement about what needs to be sometimes long-term prayerfully removed from the temple. It is Christ who makes us like Christ. Now, here's the thing. If we're not changing in that direction, we should be a little bit concerned. If you're going year after year and you're not seeing the Spirit of God slowly overtake your personality, one of two things could be happening. You've got so much hoarded in the temple of you and you just haven't focused on getting it out. You just need a fresh start. Let's start cleaning some of this thing out because it's, it's making me miss the presence of God. But the other possibility is you've never really asked Christ into your temple. You've never really asked him to come clean it out to begin with. And so you haven't even asked him for forgiveness. You're not even really his temple yet. Whichever one it is, let's do it together today. Because 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone's in Christ, they're a new creature. The old things have passed away and new things have come. Are new things coming? Is there more room? Is horde being carried out and awesome, beautiful things are popping up in here? It should be. And if it's not, let me just lovingly alert you. It means something is wrong. That's not how the Bible says it's supposed to be going. doesn't mean you're going to do perfect. You can still have, you know, like I have moron attacks. Okay, You can still get dumb for a little while. But over time, God is growing in you. That's how this is supposed to work. So let's land this plane. God will not put up 
with false worship for very long. But for those of us who have the courage to turn around, he will increasingly inhabit the temple with more of his presence and more of his blessing. But the first step has to be for everybody is, I'm deciding Christ must be first. I mean, it's that simple. Christ must be first. If anything else is first, he's not going to do it. He's just got his holy instructions. It's not going to happen unless Jesus Christ is first. So if you haven't decided that, can I give you, it's one of those two things that maybe you need to decide today. Christ is first. He gets to lead my life. And the Bible is true and has authority over what I do. If either of those is for you, you don't have to, you don't have to solve that right now. But I would challenge you, solve it next. Make it one of the next big things that you do in your life. I want you to imagine together the temple of you. Close your eyes if you need to, but imagine you're walking around, like picture it in your mind's eye. You're, you're in the temple as you imagine it. You probably don't know what it looks like very well, but you can imagine. And in that temple of you, there's, you notice there's tables of things in your life. And now you're like, ah, I don't know. I don't know if this belongs in here. And here's something else you see. On the stone, on the wall, on the floor, there's blood. And that blood is guilt. It is the guilt that you and I have for our sin. And here's what I got to tell you about the blood. Nothing gets out that soaked up blood. Nothing gets it out. Your work can't get it out. You being good can't get it out. Even getting all the stuff out of the temple can't get it out. But you look to Jesus and there he is. And he says, I know I can get it out. And he spreads his arms and you see him depicted before your eyes dying on the cross. Because my blood can wash it out. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be white as snow. Nothing gets it out but Jesus' blood gets it out. But let's reason together. Jesus says, you gotta understand how the temple works. This is how it works. You gotta know You've been living like this is your house. It is not your house. You are God's house. And therefore, God says, you need to trust me in two ways. You need to trust me to take away your sin entirely, past, present, future. But you also need to trust you shouldn't be in charge of this house. You'll bring in more stuff that doesn't belong here. This is where we say, God, you are the commander. You get to tell me what I do. You get to remove, you get to tell me what to remove. Jesus Christ died on the cross for you and me. And he's asking right now, have you gotten that squared in your heart? He's asking some others of us, are there things in this temple right now that need to, you know they need to go. They just need to go. Don't let the sun go down. If you have the power to get rid of it today, get rid of it. And if you bring it back in tomorrow morning, Jesus says, I'll be there. I won't leave you. I'll never leave you. Forsake you. I'll, I'll bring it up again. But my blood is enough. We're going to take communion. If you've got your hourglass looking thing, Let's pop open the bread part. You're going to want to do that first or it gets messy. When we take this, here's what we're asking. We're saying, Jesus, 
I am your temple. Come in and do whatever you want. I know you might even sometimes allow life to get hard because you're trying to get rid of something in this temple. But I trust that it is for my good. So we're going to sit down at the table with Jesus. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread. Now let's flip it over and pull off the the top. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and you, sealed by the shedding of my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. Let's drink it. Jesus, we want to thank you for being here today. Thank you that your love is unending. Thank you that you show us the heart of the Father that gets jealous when we bring false things that pull focus from you into the temple. God, we can make no promises of perfection, but we're asking you today, cleanse our hearts, cleanse our minds, cleanse our lives. God, help us to get our notifications. In Christ's name. Amen. Hey, thank you so much for joining us today. If you don't have a home church and you're looking for a Bible preaching community that has its heart set on passionately knowing Jesus and being his witness in our generation, check out Fierce.Church. We'd love for you to join us either digitally or in person. Also, if you're looking for leadership development related content, don't forget to check out the Fierce Leadership Podcast available wherever you get your podcast from. Special thanks to those of you who give generously to support this ministry. It's because of you that this is possible. You can click on the link in the description to give now or visit fierce.church for more information. If you enjoyed this podcast, why not subscribe, share it with your friends, click on the share button, take a screenshot, and share it on social media or wherever you would share such things. Whatever challenges you're facing, I know you can make it. Don't give up. Hang on to Jesus. He won't let go of you. Jesus loves you so much, and we love you. I hope someday we get to meet in person. Thanks again for listening.